hear now these words as we read together from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verse 26 through 20, uh, 33. Let us read together. Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? He said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now, there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. There are no nobodies in God's kingdom. There are no nobodies in God's kingdom. Will you say that with me? There are no nobodies in God's kingdom. Amen. We've been in this sermon series called The Gospel of the Nobodies. And as we've been in the season of Lent, this season of preparation, as we prepare our hearts and our minds for the resurrection of Christ that will occur on Easter, we've been in this season of Lent, we've been asking you to read with us one chapter a day through the Gospel of Luke. Luke is such an interesting gospel. It's a gospel about nobodies. It's a gospel that consists of nobody after nobody and of Jesus reaching out to these people and these people realizing that they are made somebody in the name of Christ. I think that's so interesting the way Luke writes his gospel because Luke begins his gospel in this way. In Luke 1 uh, verse 3 he writes this, I too decided after investigating everything carefully from the very first to write an orderly account for you most excellent Theophilus. Most excellent Theophilus. Now, scholars debate about who Theophilus actually was, or even if Theophilus actually existed. Theophilus means God lover. And so some think that maybe Luke was speaking figuratively, that maybe he was addressing all God lovers, that that's who he was addressing his gospel to. But many other scholars believe that Theophilus Theophilus was actually a person that there was this real-life man named Theophilus. And if that was the case, Theophilus would have been a somebody. Somebody to be addressed as excellent Theophilus. Somebody who the entire Gospel of Luke would have been dedicated to, that if Luke would have known this person, this would have been a somebody. Which I find so interesting, because Luke begins his Gospel by addressing this excellent somebody, this excellent Theophilus, saying, look, Somebody, look at all of these nobodies. Look at all of these nobodies and how Christ reaches out to these people that they might learn that they are made somebody in the name of Christ. Because everybody can be made somebody in the name of Christ. That is what we've been learning throughout this this sermon series, that everybody can be made somebody in the name of Christ, even the demon-possessed. 
This evening, we're talking about demon possession, and, and, and I know that sounds kind of weird, so I, I want to go through a little disclaimer first. Demon possession in the time of Jesus gets manifested in many different ways. As we read throughout the Gospels, when we read of those who are demon-possessed, we start to learn something about possession that many times several different ailments get categorized as demon possessions. That as we read the Gospels, we read that those who have epilepsy are said to be demon-possessed. That those who might have multiple personality or psychological disorders are, get categorized as demon-possessed. Now, what I'm not saying is that there is no such thing as the supernatural. That, that I believe that exists. I believe that there's this world, the, the natural, and then there's this other world, right? The, the supernatural, where, where things happen, and, and we really can't explain them. And I, I believe that world exists, and, and if we want to attribute those things to, to demons or whatever, I think that's a perfectly Christian response. But what I want to make clear is that when we talk about the supernatural world, when we talk about this battle between evil and good, many times in our conversations about it, we can mistake the fact that there is an equal part of evil against an equal part of good, that the two opposing forces are equally opposing forces, and that is not a Christian belief. But in fact, the power of good has already overcome the power of evil. Paul writes it in this way in his letter to the Romans. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, that battle has already been won for us. That good has already overcome evil. That as we talk about this supernatural world, let us not forget that our Lord and Savior has already died for us. That that battle has been fought and won. Thanks be to God. So as we talk about demon possessions, we learn that, that this gets manifested in several different ways. And, and one of the very popular ways was to categorize demon possession as those who were ill. We read in the Gospel of Matthew this story about a boy who had epilepsy. Uh, when, when Jesus and the disciples came to the crowd, a man came to Jesus and knelt before him and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Jesus answered, bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was cured instantly. That we know more of the science today about epilepsy, right? We know how these things occur. And Jesus, when the boy was brought to Jesus, who was an epileptic, Jesus didn't stop and say, now look, there, there are synapses in the boy's brain that are firing in this way, and, and didn't sit down and explain medicine to these people. He simply cast out the demon and made him well. That that is what Christ did. Because Christ was about making sure that all of those who felt like nobodies were made somebody in the name of Christ. Even the demon-possessed. And that brings us to our passage that we read a little while earlier. Now, this passage is an interesting one, and it gets made even more interesting when we learn about the context of the story. That this passage is just a few verses earlier than the passage that we began with. 
one day Jesus got into the boat and his disciples, with his disciples and said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they put out, and while they were sailing, Jesus fell asleep. And a windstorm swept down on the lake, and the boat was filling with water, and they were in danger. They went to, wake, uh, they went to Jesus and woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he woke up and rebuked the wind and raging waves. They ceased, and there was a calm. Jesus said to them, Where is your faith? They were afraid and amazed and said to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? When Jesus gets into the boat and says, let's set out over the lake, the body of water that he's talking about is the Sea of Galilee. That We have a map here that when they get into the boat, they're in Capernaum, which you can see is on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. And when they get in the boat, they're, they're in Capernaum, and he says, let's set out across the sea. And they head towards a town called Kirsi. Here it's called Girgasia. You can see it there on the east side. What you notice in this map is that when they're in Capernaum, they're on the Galilee side of the sea, that they're on the Jewish side on the sea, that they're on the somebody side of the sea. And then he says, let's set out across the sea. Let's go to Gergesia. Let's go to the Decapolis. Let's go to the Gentile side. Let's go to the nobody side. And I'm sure as soon as the disciples started to set out from the sea, they said, why are we going to this place? Why, Jesus? You don't, you don't want to go over there. Jesus, those are Gentiles. Those are not good people. Those are the Hellenized people. Those are the Greeks. They're bad people, Jesus. They're nobodies. Don't even waste your time on them. Jesus says, no. Let's set out. And so they set out across the Sea of Galilee, and there you can see the Jordan River comes in and out of the Sea of Galilee, and it almost comes right into the middle of the sea, and and that river coming into the sea actually causes storms to break out right in the middle of the sea, so that as the disciples are heading to a place they didn't want to go to in the first place, the storm breaks out over the sea, and they fear for their lives. They think they're going to die, and they wake up Jesus in frustration and say, Jesus, We didn't even want to set out in the first place. And here we are in the middle of the deepest sea that we can find. And we're in this storm. And you're going to kill us to go to a place where we don't even want to know the people who are there. And Jesus turns to them and says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? The disciples asked themselves, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? They get to the other side of the sea and a town called Girsi. And they go to a specific spot. Jesus points them to the cemetery, to the tombs. And as soon as Jesus steps foot on land, he is met by a demon-possessed man. The man runs up to him and the demons cry out from inside him, What would you do with me, son of the most high God? What would you do with me, son of the most high God? I think it's interesting that that the demons cry out from this man and recognize Christ as who he is, son of the most high God. Yet one verse earlier, the disciples see Jesus perform a miracle on this boat. He calms the storm and they say, who is this guy? That even the winds and the waves obey him. That even the demons knew who Christ was. James writes it in this way. 
that you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. I think it's important to realize that it's not enough just to know about God. It's not enough just to know about God. Even the demons know about God. But Jesus Christ invites us to have this personal relationship with him. That's not enough just to know about God. We are invited to be in relationship with God. The demons cry out, what would you do with me, son of the most high God? And then they cry out again, please don't send us into the abyss. Now, this abyss, when they describe it, this lets us know a piece of what's called their cosmology. This is how the Hebrews believed the world was shaped in their time. Their entire universe looked like this. You can see it looks a little different from what we know. That they believed that it was all centered around the earth. There it kind of floats in the middle of the waters. That they believed that there were waters above the dome, which we know as the sky. We know this because there was rain that fell down. They believed that there was water still up there. And this water surrounded the earth and even came up under the earth. We know this because whenever we dig down into the earth, we can find water spring up and we'll build wells around them. And so they believed if you dug deep enough, you could get down to the deep water. And if you dug any further, you would get to what was called the great deep or the abyss. The abyss was this mysterious place, this place where we need not go. This place was their concept of hell. And it was so terrible that even the demons didn't want to go there. They said, please, Jesus, don't send us back into the abyss. And then Jesus does something. Jesus looks at this man who's crazed, right? This, this man is demon-possessed. We learn in the Gospel of Luke that he's naked, that he's been bound several times, and he's br- broken those bonds over and over again, that he still has the shackles on his wrists and on his ankles, that his hair is matted. We learn that he's been cast out of the cities of the Decapolis, right? As the disciples go to a town of nobodies, there they find this person who's not even good enough to be in that town, that he's a nobody of the nobodies, That he can't stay in the towns because of his possession. That he has to sleep in the tombs next to the rotting corpses. That this man runs out to Jesus. He cries out to him. And I'm sure the disciples saw him as they were getting out of the boat. Right? And and, and they have this idea in their heads. Maybe you've done this before where you see somebody up ahead of your path. Maybe they're they're talking to themselves or or waving frantically. Or maybe they're just asking for money or or whatever it is. You're clear that you don't want to run into them. And so you have this plan. I'm just going to look down. Right? I'm just going to keep walking and and I'm just going to go on. And and I'm just, we're just going to breeze by and not have, have any interaction. Right? Or, or, or maybe I'll you know, nod my head or say, sorry, I don't have anything, or, or whatever it is. The disciples had a plan. Right? Okay, just everybody crowd around Jesus, and we're just going to shuffle off to this side, and we're going to get by this guy, and, and we're just going to keep going. And this man runs up to Jesus, and he says, what would you do with me? And Jesus looks at the man in his eyes and says, what is your name? What is your name? How many lives could we change if we asked what their name was? How many lives could we change if we just stopped 
for a second on the side of the road and looked at somebody in the eye whom nobody else would look at, whom everybody else would cast outside of their city, what would happen if we just stopped and smiled at that person and said, you know, I don't have any money, but what is your name? Where are you from? That this is the type of life-changing thing of which Christ speaks. Jesus looks at the man and he says, what is your name? And the man responds, legion. And the gospel of Mark, when he tells this story, the man responds, we are legion for we are many. We are legion for we are many. Legion is the name of a particular type of Roman military. That if, if you were the cream of the crop in the Roman military, you would be placed in a legion. Each legion consisted of 5,600 soldiers. That around the year 60 AD, Jerusalem was sacked by Rome. And when it was, four legions, over 22,000 soldiers, came into Jerusalem. They tore down the temple, they desecrated it, and they killed over one million Jews. That when a Jew hears the word legion, they think of destruction. They think of death. They think of depravity, that this legion is not good. That the man says, we are legion, for we are many. The demon doesn't want to be cast out into the abyss. And so Jesus, in a sense, tricks these demons. They ask to be sent out into the pigs, and, and, and these pigs are only emphasize more the fact that this place is a Gentile town, that these people are no good, that they even herd the unclean animals, that they eat these unclean animals. And so Jesus casts the, pig, uh, the demons out into the pigs, and, and the pigs, now being demon-possessed, run down the hill into the Sea of Galilee and drown. The Sea of Galilee was a very deep sea, and they believed that, that the sea even funneled down into the abyss. And so Jesus pulls this trick on even the demons. That when we read this story, we learn that the battle between good and evil has already been won for our sake. That this man, not only does he command the wind and the waves, but he even commands the demons. That the power of evil is insignificant to the power of good. So, the pig herders see this event happen, right? They watch all of this take place and they run back to the Decapolis and they go into the towns and they tell everybody what has happened, right? And, and, and so they all come back and they see this man, this man who was once demon-possessed and is now clothed and in his right mind and is sitting at the feet of Jesus and he's learning from him and all the people gather around and see this happen and, 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 and this great miracle has occurred and as they stand around Jesus, they turn and look at him and say, what happened to the pigs? What happened to our pigs, Jesus? They failed to see the miracle standing right in front of them. Jesus and the disciples leave, never to come back to the Decapolis. I think this story is so interesting, and, and, and I think we have so many things to learn from it. I think one of the things that we learn is that everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. As we talk about demon possession, many times we can just put this out of our mind and say, yeah, that, that, you know, that just doesn't happen anymore. 
But if we start to look at it in terms of this way, that everything is spiritual. That many times we can get an illness and and we can think, oh, I just have a cold. All I got to do is take a pill and and, and I'll be fine. And, And that might be true. But you've also seen those who have become so ill that they are now bedridden. That maybe they've been so for a very long time. And when you go and see them, when you visit them, you notice that something is is wrong, and it's not just their body. Right? I, I have seen those who have been bedridden for so long that now they've lost hope. Now, now they've lost hope in the idea that they will ever be made well again. That this idea of hope, that's, that's not medical. There's no medicine that I can give you that will give you hope again, but that hope is spiritual. That as we talk about this idea of demon possession, we learn that everything is spiritual. That we are never just watching TV or, or listening to something. We, we are never just doing this, that this thing doesn't just affect our bodies, but what comes in actually affects our soul. That we learn that everything is spiritual. Another lesson we learn is that demons come in all shapes and sizes. I have a friend of mine who is a, uh, he's from the tradition of the Pentecostal Holiness Church. It's a little different from my tradition, and so we enjoy having conversations and talking about the differences of which we were raised. And as we were talking, we were talking about money and how our, dif- how our different churches talk about money. And he turned to me and said that in his church, they talk about poverty as a demon. They talk about poverty as a demon. And I thought that was so interesting. And you know what? I, I started to understand what he meant. Because when we talk about the issue of poverty, it can become so easy just to look at it and say, you know what, those people just need to get a job, or they just need more money. But if we actually take a second to look at the problem, we realize it is much deeper than that. That it, it doesn't just affect this, the mother or the father, that it actually affects their kids, and, and then they'll grow up to have kids, and this problem becomes cyclical, and it happens over and over again, and this demon gets passed down over and over again, that soon it becomes not just about money, that if you gave just somebody a job, it wouldn't fix the problem, but the problem actually becomes spiritual, that we actually need a holistic approach to these kinds of issues, that we re- when we realize that everything is spiritual, we start to realize that all of these things come in different fashions. I think demons can manifest themselves in the forms of poverty. I think demons, most of us have seen how demons can even be manifested in the forms of racism. Many of us have seen in the media the video of young men on a bus chanting hateful speech in a gleeful manner. And we can see these pictures, we can watch these videos, and we can think, how can anybody do this? How can somebody think like this? They must be possessed. It shocks and appalls us, but we start to learn that the problem is much deeper than just if they knew. Right? If somebody were just to stand up and say, excuse me, no, 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 the things that you're saying, they're really hurtful to a lot of people. That, that doesn't fix the issue. The issue is much deeper than that. That the issue is spiritual. And it gets handed down over and over again. And what we learn about demon possession is that the possessed are as much victims of the possession as those around the people. Right? That those young men who stood up on a bus will be now forever known as those people. 
that if us gathered here were known for something that we did when we were naive, when we were 19, when we were 20, if we were known for that, well, we would tell a much different story. That possession can affect so many different people. Demons can also manifest themselves in the form of addiction. I have a close friend of mine who uh, suffers from addiction. And he and I were talking one day, and, um, and he was telling me these things about how these relationships that he once had are now broken. And he would tell me over and over again, well, this person doesn't like me, but, you know, that's because I'm an addict. And, well, I lied to this person, and, and you know, that's because I'm an addict. And, and you know, this, this thing happened, but that's because I'm an addict. And, and as he was telling me this, I knew there was something that I was hearing that wasn't quite right, and, but I didn't have the right words to say it. And the next time we met, he told me that he went to a counseling session. And he was talking with his counselor, and he kept saying those words, well, that's because I'm an addict. Well, that's because I'm an addict. Well, that's because I'm an addict. And finally, the therapist stopped him. And she said, you're not an addict. You're a child of God who happens to suffer from addiction. You're a child of God who happens to suffer from addiction. That what we learn from this story, first and foremost, is that we are not our demons. Brothers and sisters, we are not our demons. That we do not look at addicts and know them first and foremost as addicts, but we know them as children of God. That these young men who stand up on a bus who say hateful things, we will not know them as racists, but we will know them as children of God. That when we see the demon possessed, we will not first associate them with the demon that has possessed them, but we will know them first as a child of God, the way Christ saw this man. That we remember that there is so much more to life than what we at first see. That as we, as brothers and sisters who call ourselves Christian, when we see each other out in the world, we will not know each other by our demons, but we will know each other by what Christ calls us. Children. Loved ones. Brothers and sisters. Because we learn that there are no nobodies in God's kingdom. But in fact, all can be made somebody in the name of Christ. Amen.